Well, good morning, everybody. And uh, just want to extend my own welcome to you this morning to church. Great to have you here. Uh, if we've not met before or if you're new, uh, my name's Chris. I'm part of the staff team here at the church. And uh, today it's Baptism Sunday, as you've seen, which is a big day for us. It's part of what has comically come to be known as Mega March, which I think I said as a kind of joke in a meeting once, and it's stuck. So be careful what you say. Um, so we've had a string of kind of some big Sundays here, Vision Sunday, Anniversary Sunday, and then today. I'm just taking a break from kind of our regular ongoing teaching series in Hebrews. And um, so today I'm going to be speaking from uh, the book of Mark, uh, the, on the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Uh, It's arguably his most famous miracle. I think you could make a good case for that. It's the only miracle of his actually that features in all four of the gospel accounts as well. Um, But we're going to read this morning from Mark's version of these events. Um, So if you have a Bible with you or it's on your phone, then please turn to Mark chapter 6 and verse 30. And then that passage runs all the way up to verse 44. Um, Today I'm reading in my Bible from the NIV translation. So if you do have something slightly different, you can just follow along what I'm reading from the screens. They'll be up on here. Um, But we're in Mark 6, verse 30. Let's get straight into it and down to uh, verse 44. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, That would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Now, as I said, this particular miracle is the only one that features in all four of the the gospel accounts, and um, it's just quite a cool accolade, I think, at first, and, you know, if there was ever a school playground of Jesus' miracles, feeding the 5,000 would be Mr. Popular, for sure, Um, but I don't want to give too much weight, necessarily, just to that fact that it's featured in all four. We mustn't overdo it, because it's not to say that any of Jesus' other miracles are any less important or impressive, but I think part of the reason why this miracle of all of them features in all four is because it is so rich in its content. 
There's so much going on, even in just this short sequence of events, that we can learn from. There's absolutely loads of, of symbolism and parallels to the people of God in the Old Testament in Israel. There's a symbolism of what's to come with communion. There's, there's a fresh reality and, and a kind of normality to it. There's emotion involved here. There's real people. And, and so I think for all of those reasons, it's very relatable, and we can learn from it in, on loads of different levels. And that's why when we come into this passage today, I want you to do me a favor, and that is to scrap or at least park everything you know of this story for the next 20, 25 minutes or so, okay? Because I'm sure lots of you will be familiar with how it goes, how it turns out, or at the very least maybe been in like Sunday school, as Katie was citing, you know, hearing some of these biblical stories when you're growing up. But whatever you think you know of this story, just put it to one side, because when we come to the Bible, it's so important that we don't come with our preconceived ideas and read that into the text, but do it the other way around. Like, come blank canvas and say, God, what do you want to say to me here today? Like, in this moment. So regardless of what he said to you when you were younger, regardless of what he said at some conference, no, what do you want to say to us today? Is that all right? So give him the clean slate this morning. We're going to start by um, basically getting ourselves right into the story and just walking it through and trying to get a feel for it. Because it's more than just words on a page. Like These were real people that lived in a real place. Like This stuff actually happened. And, and our experience of this passage and what we learn from it will be all the more richer for kind of seeing it through their lens and kind of making it feel real to us as well. So let's start in verse 30. That's where we pick up in our passage. And uh, it starts with the apostles, the disciples, coming to Jesus to report on everything that they've been doing. Earlier on in this chapter, Jesus had sent them out. He'd commissioned them in pairs to, to go and teach in the surrounding area, to go and cast out demons, to heal the sick, to do this incredible ministry work. And so this is kind of the first point then that they sort of reconvene after all that has taken place. So they've gone off, they've been working hard, they've been really busy, and now they're back together with Jesus to report on everything that's been going on. And because of that, like, they're tired. They've spent themselves for other people. They're exhausted. We're told they didn't even have a chance to eat, so they're hungry. And Jesus sees them right where they're at, and speaks right into their life in that moment. And he invites them essentially to kind of come away with him, almost like on a mini retreat. It's like, okay, I see that you've been working really hard. I see that you're tired. Let's just go. You, me, we'll go on a boat, we'll find somewhere quiet, and we'll just have some time to refresh and recover. Brilliant. Sounds amazing. Sounds exactly like what the guys would need. And it would have been music to their ears. They're absolutely spent. One of the commentators described them as being peopled to death. Right? They have given themselves, they've poured themselves out for other people. They're running on empty. So they get into this boat onto the Sea of Galilee. And immediately, like the rest begins. Right? They kind of they start drifting on the water. It's a warm afternoon. Maybe they rest their eyes for a minute and they think, oh, this is, this is the respite I've been looking for. Thank you so much, Jesus. What they didn't know was that when they got on the boat, people recognized them, probably more likely recognized Jesus. So they saw these people getting on the boat and they're like, I want to go wherever they're going. But they don't have a boat, so they choose to leg it around the corner of the Sea of Galilee to the place that they're going to. This place is a solitary place, as we're told by Mark. It's, it's called Bethsaida. Um, it's just to the north of the Sea of Galilee where the River Jordan meets it. And so they're on their merry way, the disciples. 
But then word gets out, and one after another, someone tells someone else, and tells someone else, tells a village, tells a town, and ending up with thousands of people running around the corner of this lake, trying to kind of map where the boat is going, like, where are they going to land? Probably over there. Let's aim for that. Like, I mean, that would be carnage. That's a big crowd of people running around a corner of a lake. Health and safety would have a nightmare. <laughs> the disciples have no idea. They're blissfully unaware. Eventually, they make land, right? They get to the shore, and they realize what has happened. And just for a moment, put yourself in their shoes. I would love to know how you would react. Here's how I would react, okay? So I've, I've, I've been working for, so hard for days, teaching, preaching. Jesus is like, hey, let's go away. Let's have some rest together. I'm thinking, this is going to be amazing. Just me and my boys, like, hanging out, resting, recovering. I'm in the boat. I'm ha- already having a good time. It's a lovely day. And I get to the shore, and I start to hear this, like, rumble of noise. So I kind of come to from my little resting eyes moment and and realize that there is a crowd of not just 5,000 people, that's just the men. So we're probably talking like six to 8,000 people waiting on the shore. So they are the place that you're about to go for this rest. Now, if it were me, my instinctive reaction would essentially be, oh, people are the worst. Like, just would think, why are there people here? I've just been trying to get away from all of these people to have some rest. How on earth am I going to get rest with all of this lot around? Maybe you're an extrovert and you're actually thinking, oh, that would be the perfect rest, me and 8,000 others. But not me. I'm an introvert. That would not be my cup of tea. So they arrive, they think, oh, no, they're bitterly disappointed. But Jesus gets off the boat, we're told. He sees the large crowd. And he has compassion on them. He sees that they're like sheep without a shepherd. His his heart goes out to them. And actually, the the word used here, compassion, um, it has its roots in the Greek word viscera, which means stomach. It's where we get the word visceral from, okay? So it's it's talking about a deep sort of gut-wrenching feeling that's powerful and strong. And so his compassion isn't just like a pitiful, like, oh, bless It's like, no, my heart goes out to you. I see your plight. I see that you need a shepherd. And so he begins to teach them. He begins to be that shepherd to them. Now, at this point, we're told in our passage that it's getting quite late in the day. Okay? Maybe it's kind of approaching dusk sort of time. So the disciples, who are admittedly already very frustrated, they thought they were going to get some one-to-one time with Jesus. They kind of read the situation I don't know, maybe they flip a coin and whoever loses that is the one that has to go and chat to Jesus. And, the, and you go out to Jesus and you just kind of, there's a pause in his talking. And you, Jesus, Jesus, like, it's getting pretty late. Like, it's kind of dark. There's nothing here. Like, no one's got any food. Everybody's hungry. Why don't we send them away back to the villages and the towns? They can get some food. We can get some rest. Everybody wins. That sounds like a good idea, doesn't it, Jesus? And a perfectly reasonable suggestion Like, even if the disciples hadn't been kind of frustrated at that point, I think it's just like a pretty normal thing to say. It's late, there's no food, it's getting dark, there's nothing here. Okay, why don't we just send people back to get food where they're from? Very reasonable. But then Jesus just replies with, you give them something to eat. And again, just put yourself in the story at that point. Right? 8,000 people in front of you, no food in the area. You're saying, very wisely, why don't we send them away to get some food? And Jesus turns back to you and says, why don't you give them something to eat? 
What? That's absolutely crazy. And in Mark's gospel, the reason I chose this version is because he captures the essence of their emotion. Because they respond. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Like, are you kidding? I'm not going to go and spend half a year of my wage on that. Like, I don't even know these people. So they snap. They absolutely lose it in front of Jesus. And Jesus, very calmly, in his very collected way, doesn't give in to their frustration, kind of just ignores it, sees right past it, and he hears everything they say, and then he responds, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. He's like, no, 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 Jesus, you're not hearing me out. Like, we have no food. There's so many of them. We can't afford to feed them. He's like, yeah, but how much bread have you got? It's just, it's, it's crazy. It seems like it's making no sense. And it turns out there's some kid in the crowd. I'm sure there were many, but there's one kid in particular. We're told in John's version of this event, has some bread and some fish. Now, it's worth, again, just pausing and clocking that these, these bread and this fish, like, we're not talking like whopping great tuna or like, I don't know, an array of like French baguettes. We're talking like, at best, like two little piddly sardines and a few flatbreads for like six to 8,000 people. This poor kid's had his like, packed lunch raided by the disciples. And he's like, it's never going to work. But the disciples are like, oh, this is literally all we've got. This will do. Yoink. So they take this kid's packed lunch. <laughs> and they come back to Jesus. And they're like, we've got five bits of bread, two fish. What are you going to do with that? And again, they're still probably kind of like, this is just not going to work. It's not going to work. But Jesus, again, he just he carries on. He knows exactly what he's doing. He directs the disciples, and he says, okay, get everyone to sit down in groups of 50 or 100. And again, the disciples at this point are like, well, I really thought he was going to stop, but he's still plowing on with this plan, isn't he? Flipping heck. So he gets them to sit down in 50s and 100s, nice and organized. And he takes what they have. Okay, so he takes the bread and the fish off the disciples. He gives thanks to the Father. He blesses it. And then before their eyes, the bread just multiplies into like 5,000 loaves, the fish. They've got fish coming out of their ears, thousands of fish all over the place, except that's not what happens. He takes the bread and the fish from the disciples. He gives thanks to the Father. He blesses it, and he just gives it back. The same amount of food that they just gave him, he just gives it back. Now again, imagine you're a disciple. You know that Jesus has like a good track record of miracles. Maybe at that point you're like, oh, when we give him the food, he's going to do something amazing. We'll have bread for everybody. It'll be a feast. Got it. So then Jesus does his thing, and then he passes that same bread and fish back to you. You're just like, this is really not where I thought this was going to go. Right? You've got this bread in your hands. His fish in your hands. And Jesus says, okay, now go and distribute that to the people. You're there, looking at the other disciples like, he's serious, isn't he? He, he actually means it. So you're like, okay. Now you're the smart one in the group, so you make a beeline for that kid. And you're like, hey, kid, kid, have you got anything else in your lunchbox? Like any flatbreads, grapes? The kid's are like, no, you took it all. He's like, fine, this will do. Okay, so you go up to your first group of 50 people. And you're like... This is going to go badly. 
All these people look so expectedly up at you, like, oh, he's going to give us the food. You've got this scrap of bread, this piece of fish. You can see the person at the back, you're like, mate, do not get your hopes up. There's no chance you're getting any food tonight. But you, you just do as Jesus said. Like, okay. So you give it to the first person in your group. They have their share. They eat their fill. And they pass it on. Then that person has their share, eats their fill, and they pass it on. And then they pass it on. And they keep passing it on. And you're sat there looking at this group in front of you, thinking, how on earth is this amount of food still going? You're looking at the other disciples like, is it working for you? Yeah, it's working for me. (laughs) Everybody eats, has their share, and is completely satisfied. And the disciples begin to realize what's happening in front of them. This is a remarkable miracle. Not one person was left wanting, not even the disciples. There was enough left for them at the end. It's incredible. And yet, in some way, it all just looks very unremarkable, the way that it happens. And I think there are two key things that we can learn from this incredible miracle and the way that it plays out, like the actual detail of each moment. And the first thing that I think we can learn is this, is that if you give Jesus what you have, he can do remarkable things with it. If you just give Jesus what you have, he can do remarkable things with it. No matter how small it might seem, no matter how ordinary it feels to you in your hands, no matter how insignificant it feels compared to the task ahead. When you put it in Jesus' hands and give yourself over, him, over to him, I wonder what might happen. Because just look at this miracle. What they had was, was tiny compared to what they had to do with it. Like the scale of the task vastly outweighed what they had at their disposal. What They had seemed so ordinary, it seemed so normal, but Jesus did something extraordinary with it. He took what they had and he did something remarkable. And so my question for you today is, well, what are your bread and fish? What do you have in your hands that seems small, that seems insignificant, that seems like it won't make a dent And then just wonder what could happen if Jesus were to take that and to bless it and truly bless it. You know, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's being a mum or being a dad, you know, raising these kids. And of course, you know that that's a gift from the Lord. You do not take that for granted. But it it doesn't feel like you're on the cutting edge of the kingdom. It it just feels very every day, every day, the same things. To you, it doesn't feel like it's going to do much. You're like, I don't, I don't really see where this is going to go. It feels so normal to you, but it's what you have in your hands. You're like, this is what I've got. Right now in my life, my stage, this is what I have. Jesus, I give it to you. I surrender it to you. I give it to you completely. And I, I just say, I trust you with it. And then wonder what that would look like if he then blessed that and gave it back into your hands. Maybe at first you actually wouldn't see much in the way of kind of incredible things happening. 
I mean, think about this miracle. Whoever was person six, seven, eight thousand in the line, it took a long time for them to see the miracle. Maybe it'll be a long time for you. But over the years, you raise your children in the things of the Lord. They start to follow him. They lead friends to him. They lead ministries in the future. They go off and do great exploits for the kingdom. And all of a sudden, something remarkable has come from what felt like it was every day to you. Maybe it's something even kind of more kind of day-to-day. It's like you're good with numbers. Microsoft Excel, that's your jam. That's where you live. But it, again, it feels just very plain. It feels very ordinary to you. You're like, again, this doesn't feel like I'm on the front line for Jesus when I'm doing my numbers. You can tell I don't know how to use Excel, doing my numbers. What does that mean? <laughs> um, and yet, maybe if you give that to Jesus and say, Jesus, I haven't got a lot in my life at the moment. I don't know what I'm doing ministry-wise. I'm not sure, but this is what I have in my hands. I'm good with numbers. Would you bless it? And again, maybe at first it doesn't feel like anything comes of it. You're like, well, okay. I feel like I've just had it given back to me. But actually, over time, because you're good with numbers, means you become a good steward of your finances. And maybe it means you're able to steward your finances for your family. And then actually it means that you can give more to the church and give more to the kingdom, to advancing what Jesus is doing in this city. And then years down the line, people that are struggling with their finances and and aren't good with numbers are coming to you and asking for your help and your wisdom, and you're able to equip others. And all of a sudden, what felt very normal and very everyday and very mundane to you has had a remarkable impact somewhere down the line. If only we would give these things into the hands of Jesus and say, Jesus, it's yours. Would you bless it? I mean, ultimately, isn't it just our whole lives? Like, yes, there are these specific elements, but isn't it we just come to Jesus and say, this, this is what I've got. This is my life. Have it. Please take it. Please bless it. Please use it. And we give ourselves over to him. One of the commentators I read, R. Kent Hughes, he, he put it really well when he said it like this. Paul explained why God delights to use us in our ordinariness. Then he quotes 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul writes, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Then he continues, Because God uses common clay jars like you and me so that there will be no mistake as to where the power comes from. Because Jesus loves taking what we have, whatever it is, Whatever we offer, he loves taking the ordinary, taking the normal, taking what seems like the everyday and the mundane and turning it into something remarkable. Isn't that the very essence of the gospel? Isn't that how it all works anyway in Jesus? I mean, it's what Katie is testifying to today. Like there's a before and then Jesus and then there's an after. And those two things are vastly different because Jesus intervenes. He takes the old and he he makes it new. He takes ashes and turns it into beauty. He takes our mourning, our tears and our pain and he turns it to dancing. He took every single one of us as orphans, lost without hope and made us into sons and daughters, made us into royalty. Ultimately, he takes death and makes it into life. He turns it around. That is the business that he is in. And ultimately, 
we couldn't offer Jesus anything. Like, right at the start of that journey, all we came to Jesus with was our sin. That was all we could give him. Jesus, this is what I have. It feels like nothing. I mean, it is, but he takes it. He redeems it. He restores you, and it turns you into something beautiful. If we would just entrust ourselves to him, if we just give ourselves over to him completely. And I just want to make a comment at this point that, that we have an enemy, Satan, and, and he would love you to think that your life can't be used for the kingdom. He wants to keep you in that mindset of like, well, I'm not going to be much use, so I won't give myself over to it. He wants you to kind of stay subdued and think, well, Jesus probably can't use this, so I won't bother. Because then all of a sudden, we're a very ineffective community for the kingdom. But if we were to believe and have faith that actually if I just give Jesus what I have, he can do anything, then our enemy is very afraid. And then the kingdom advances. So that's the first thing, that if we just give Jesus what we have into his hands, like the disciples, and he blesses it, remarkable things can happen. But secondly, and importantly, that remarkable thing, that miracle here, is born out of obedience. Like that's actually how it comes to life. The miracle doesn't actually happen when Jesus gets his hands on the bread. Like as I made the point earlier, like Jesus gets his hands on the bread and, and, and nothing changes outwardly. Jesus gives it back to the disciples and still nothing changes. It's still the same amount of food in their hands. The miracle happens when they start doing what Jesus said, when they start following his voice and they distribute it to the crowd. Did they have doubts while they were doing it? Yeah, probably. Were they unsure if it was going to work? Not certain how it was all going to pan out? Yeah, I'm sure. But they chose, they made a choice to do exactly as Jesus had said. They decided to ignore all of the niggling voices in their mind of like, this isn't going to work, you're going to look like a fool. It's the enemy, they're lies. Instead, they listened, they chimed into the voice of the shepherd who had said, go and give these people this food. They said, okay. Doesn't make sense to me, but okay, I'll follow that. And Jesus himself actually taught in Luke chapter 11. He says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. He himself modeled obedience. We're told in, in Romans, for as by the one man's disobedience, that is Adam and the sin in the Garden of Eden, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, that is Christ Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Jesus' obedience cost him everything. Cost him his life. And he, he grappled with it as well. Which is just, it's just worth knowing that that's, it's okay to grapple with these things. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, he prayed to his father, like, please, if there's any other way, Yet not my will, but your will. Like the order of those things is very important. Yes, come before God, pour your heart out, but make sure at the end of it, it's okay, but I put everything of myself aside to follow you, to listen to your voice. But it was out of his obedience that we find salvation. And now our salvation is outworked in our obedience back to him. Now, I'm not suggesting that every time you obey Jesus that you'll see a miracle of this caliber. Okay, I'm, I'm not suggesting that the correlation will be quite that high. 
Though if it is, that would be amazing. Nottingham would be a very different place. Um, I'm not suggesting it'll be quite like this every single time, but I am saying that if we're going to see miracles happen, if we're going to see lives transformed, our friends, our colleagues, our families, if we're going to genuinely become the best versions of ourselves that God has for us, if we're going to reach this city with the good news of Jesus, then it's going to come from walking in step with him. It's going to come when we follow his voice, when we follow the voice of the shepherd. So from this miracle, we have these two things. It actually can create this beautiful symmetry where we learn that when we give Jesus what we have and put our lives and our trust into his hands, remarkable things can happen. But those remarkable things kind of happen when it's given back to us and we then walk that out in obedience to him, to his voice every single day. And in light of that, I want you to take two questions away from this message today to consider, to ponder, to discuss with others. The first is this. What do you have? What do you have in your hands? However small it might seem or feel, however insignificant it looks to you, just genuinely, what do you have at your disposal? Jesus is asking you that question today. And then secondly, okay, in light of what you have, What is Jesus telling you to do with it? What does it look like for you to walk out obedience in that area of your life? Like grapple with that question. Try and figure it out. And just believe that actually when he blesses it, remarkable things might happen. So take those questions away with you. But to close today, just as we finish... I'm going to get us to to pray together. This is a prayer that I have written out that as I was prepping and leading up to today, just kind of became, it became my prayer for myself, but also for all of us, for you. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through it and read a line at at a time. And if you want to, you can repeat that line back and make this your prayer as your response to what you've heard this morning. And then... During the week, I had someone come up to me after the nine o'clock service saying, oh, it'd be really helpful if you could send out that prayer. So we'll figure out a way to get this available so that you can pray it again and come back to it and reread it. And it's going to be split into essentially kind of two halves. The first half of the prayer is essentially a prayer of surrender. It's, I choose to give you what I have. I give it over to you, Jesus. I trust you. That'll be the first half. The second half will then be Jesus, please, I want to hear your voice. Speak to me in light of that. Tell me what you want me to do. So I'm going to read it through. I'll pause after each line. And then you can say it back together, out loud, as one, as a people. And know that our Father in heaven and our Savior hears us. So why don't you close your eyes? And just kind of still yourself before the Lord. There's lots going on at the moment, but just for a moment, kind of slow your, your, pause, your pulse down, pause in your heart, and just kind of give this moment to Jesus. And then repeat after me. Jesus, thank you for giving up your life 
so that I could find mine. Thank you for taking my sin and my shame and making me into something beautiful. Today, in this moment, I choose to surrender again to you. I choose to give you what I have. I choose to give you my life. And I pray that you would bless it and use it for your glory. Jesus, please speak to me. Drown out the noise of this world so that I can follow your voice. The voice of my good shepherd. Help me to walk in step with you and in obedience to you so that your kingdom may come and your will may be done in my life, in my church, and in this nation. Amen. Amen. Well, that's it for this morning. Thank you so much for coming and being part of church today.